Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. If you've been at Wildwood for the last few weeks, you know that we have been walking through a sermon series called The Light of the World. This has been our theme for this Christmas season. We've seen what Jesus meant when he said, I am the light of the world. We have seen the foreshadowing of this in Old Testament prophecies. And we have seen those who recognize Jesus as the light of the world, even at the time of his birth. And so that's where we've been so far. Today we're going to be in part four of our series, looking at Matthew chapter 2, the first 18 verses. Now, when we look at these verses, we'll be going back and looking over some of the same verses we just sang about in the song, We Three Kings. But that's our plan for this morning. But before we get to those verses, I want to just ask you a a question. It's, it's, It's an important question. That question is this, who is the most influential person in your life? Who is the one who has the greatest sway over you? Who is the one that you are ultimately following? And when you try to answer that question for today, I want you to think back in different eras of your life and think about who those big influences were, even at different seasons of your life. You know, when I think of my life and I think back to when I was in middle school, I would have to say that one of the the great influences of my life as a middle schooler was none other than Michael Air Jordan. Uh, He was a huge influence in my life. Um, I wanted to look like him. Can't you see the resemblance? Um, I was lacking in certain areas, and so I began to wear the kinds of wristbands that he wore, and I tried to wear the shoes that he had. And when I would go outside to play basketball, I would stick my tongue out when I played because he stuck his tongue out when he played. And when I would go to shoot a layup, a normal layup wouldn't do. I would do fancy layups. Why? Because I couldn't dunk. That was as close as I could get. Um, But I was influenced greatly by Michael Jordan. Now, let me tell you where that got me in life. I I learned that, that habit of sticking my tongue out as I played basketball. And that came back to haunt me. When I was in high school, I was playing one day, and somebody jumped underneath me, hit my lower jaw, and I nearly bit my tongue off. Um, Some of you are like, wow, if that would have happened, the sermons would be a lot shorter. Um, (laughs) Praise God, it didn't happen, but I'll tell you what happens. It taught me a very valuable lesson. Follow the wrong person and you'll bite your tongue off, right? Um, But the reality is who we follow has a significant impact on our lives. And by, by God's grace, I have a much greater one that I follow today. The king of my life today is Jesus Christ. He's the one that I follow. He's the one that has the greatest influence on me, and that's a massive upgrade from anyone else that I've ever known or come in contact with. Today, friends, what we're going to do is we're going to look at Matthew chapter 2. We're going to look at Matthew 2 under this, this banner of who is our greatest influence. If you will, who is our king? And what impact does the king we follow have on our lives? We're going to see that today by looking at Matthew chapter 2. If you've got a Bible, take it out and turn there. I want to read these verses for us, and then after reading them, I'll back up and make a couple of observations. Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, says this, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. 
When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that had been seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose, and he took the child and his mother by night, and he departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and he killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all the region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Now, friends, in these few verses today, I want us to see two things that will help us reflect on who is the chief influence in our lives. So, what will we see? Well, The first thing I want us to see is that Matthew chapter 2 is a tale of two kings, a tale of two kings. Now, when I say that, does that sound right to you? No, it sounds a little off. Why does it sound off? It's not a rhetorical question. Come on, 945, are you with me? Why does it sound off to say that this is a tale of two kings? Because... Where's the third king, right? It's we three kings. Why, why are we only going to talk about two kings? Well, the reason why is because the three kings are actually referencing what are termed in the Bible as wise men. Wise men were magi from the east, from Babylon. They were influenced by Daniel historically during the time of exile when the Israelites were there. But they were not kings at all, and yet they had come invited to visit Jesus by God himself. And so when we talk about the kings of Matthew 2, we're not including the magi because they were not kings. Where are the kings of Matthew 2? Well, the first king that we see in Matthew 2 is a guy named Herod. It says there that it was Herod the king. It was Herod the king who heard this. One of the kings that is referenced in Matthew 2 is Herod. And we'll talk more about who Herod was and the significance of his life in just a moment. But one of the kings was Herod. The second king was who? 
Jesus. The second king was Jesus. The, the Magi came and they came to see the one who was born king of the Jews. Now, do you understand a little bit why Herod would have been so upset when folks from another country show up and say, we want to see the one who was born king of the Jews? Why would that bother Herod? Because Herod was the sitting king of the Jews. And so it bothered him. But Jesus was the one who would come, who would be the king of the Jews, and not only the king of the Jews, but the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So when we look at Matthew 2 and we look at it through the lens of who are the kings, who are the influencers in this passage, there are two kings in the shadow of these verses, Herod and Jesus. So what do we know about them? Well, when we think of Herod, we're talking about someone who was known historically as Herod the Great. He was a local ruler who operated in the Middle East under the banner of Rome. The Roman Empire had expanded at this point to include the the area of Israel, and the leader of Rome at that time was a Caesar by the name of Caesar Augustus. We're familiar of this with this because of what is said in Luke chapter 2 in verse 1. Caesar was the sovereign over the Roman Empire, but there was a local guy that Caesar had established to help keep the peace in the Middle East. And that local ruler operating under Roman leadership was this guy, Herod, who had been called the king of the Jews. He was ruling in the area at the time that Jesus was born. We see that in Matthew chapter 2 in verse 1, in the days of Herod the king. So in the days when Caesar Augustus was ruling from Rome, and then the local guy, Herod, was ruling over the area of Israel, that's the timing when Jesus was born. How do we know when Jesus was born? Well, these are historical markers that help us zero in on the time that he was born. Herod was the local ruler at that time. Now, how did Herod get to become the king of the Jews? Well, he got to be that way by scheming his way into power. He wasn't born into this. He, he, he took it. He took it through a, a series of different schemes that he had, marrying the right person, working his way into the good favor of Caesar so that Caesar would think that he could be trusted, and ultimately, through military conquest, becoming the leader of the region. He had schemed his way into power. And Caesar's life was kind of a mystery. He was both successful, but also miserable. I say successful in the sense that he led the nation of Israel at that time, the province of Israel, to a period of great economic gain. And he also was able to build some of the most impressive buildings of the ancient world, something we'll talk about a little later on. And yet, despite his successes, he was ultimately a miserable guy. Now, where do we see the misery of Herod talked about in these verses? Well, Jack Dean Kingsbury describes Herod this way. He says, Herod shows himself to be spiritually blind, fearful, conspiratorial, guileful, and mendacious. What is mendacious? Mendacious means lying, murderous, wrathful, and apprehensive of the future. Herod had some success, but he was miserable, and his misery led him to be ruthless. He was a tight-fisted leader that you did not want to cross. He was a dictator. That was Herod the Great. 
Now, what about the other king in Matthew 2? Well, the other king was none other than King Jesus. King Jesus is the one who was visited by the wise men. They came from the east to see the true king of the Jews. They came to visit Jesus. They were guided there by a star that shone in the sky. This was a supernatural thing. Jesus was not just another guy. He was God in the flesh, God incarnate, who had come to lead and to liberate his people. That's who Jesus was. Not only that, but he was the son of God, God in the flesh. Other places in the Bible, including John chapter 20, verse 31, talk about the identity of Jesus this way. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Jesus, the Son of God, and Jesus, the King of kings. The book of Revelation, when Jesus returns to this earth, he's wearing a very special attire. Then on his robe and on his thigh is written this title, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. What does it mean to say that Jesus is the King of kings? It means to say that Jesus is the one who sits with sovereign authority over all kings, in all times, in all eras. He is the Lord of lords, the perfect one to follow. This is who Jesus is. And so we see this contrast developing between two kings. On the one hand, we have Herod the Great, and on the other, we have King Jesus. What I want us to do with the balance of our time is I want to look at a comparison and a contrasting view of these two kings. What do we learn by comparing Herod with Jesus? Well, when we think about this, we'll ultimately come to see that Jesus is the one who is truly the great one. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So how do we see that in comparison? Well, the first thing that we need to look at is the fact that when we compare these two, we're talking about a king with Herod, all lowercase, versus the king, all cap, Jesus. Now, when we compare these two, we see that Herod was one who had and built a deteriorating kingdom, a deteriorating kingdom. Now, what do I mean by that? Some might even want to quibble with that because Herod had a pretty significant kingdom in his day, including building a number of impressive structures Herod knew that in order for the region to prosper economically, it needed to have a, a seaport to be able to ship goods back to the, to the west. And so the fact they didn't have one didn't stop Herod. He actually went and created his own seaport, something that was unique in that day in Caesarea Maritima, so that goods could be imported and exported and the nation could prosper. Not only did he do that, but he wanted to have a religious stamp that he left on the country. And so he looked at the temple and he said, this temple is not big enough in Jerusalem. We're going to expand it and elaborate upon it. And so he built a giant retaining wall and then made a big platform upon which he built a multiple times expanded temple area. Today, if you were to go there and see the Western wall where people gathered to pray, that is just part of the retaining wall that created the foundation upon which the temple that Herod elaborated on was built. Not only did he do that, but he also built a number of other palaces in places like Masada and Herodium and other places, architectural wonders of his day. In the middle of a desert that only got a quarter of an inch of rain a year, he had multiple swimming pools and lush gardens. 
how was he able to accomplish all of those things? Doesn't that show some measure of success? Well, it was success, but it was temporary. If you were to go to Israel today, if we were to go there right now and tour the country, you know what Herod's structures look like? I'll give you a clue. Go home today and take a bunch of rocks and scatter them on your driveway. That's what Herod's structures look like. His beautiful places that he built have been reduced to rubble. There is no longer water in the pools. There are no longer crops in the gardens. The seaport gave way to the ocean long ago. Herod built something impressive, but it didn't stand the test of time. It ultimately deteriorated. And if we were to go there today and look at the rulers of that region, we would find that there are no Herods currently sitting on any thrones. It was a deteriorating, temporary kingdom. Let's contrast that, though, with Jesus. Herod built a deteriorating kingdom. Jesus built a kingdom that knows no end. Amen? In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus would say to Peter and to his followers, upon this rock I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Nothing is able to stop what Jesus is building because he is not just building buildings and swimming pools. No, Jesus is gathering together followers who are placing their trust in him and he is filling them with his presence and the spirit so that we might be with him forever and ever and ever. Amen? See, Herod built a deteriorating kingdom, but Jesus built a kingdom that knows no end. What's another comparison? Herod tried to alter God's ways. He tried to alter God's ways. Now, what do I mean he tried to alter God's ways? Well, remember, the Magi show up, and they say to Herod, where is this one who is born king of the Jews? Where is he at? What, what, what happens next? Well, Herod finds out from his advisors that this Messiah was born in Bethlehem, was to be born in Bethlehem. And they quote the right Bible verse to support it. They quote Micah chapter 5. And, and not only do they quote the verse, not only do they tell him where the Messiah is to be born, but also a new star had appeared in the sky that was guiding foreigners to that location. That is all pretty compelling evidence that someone supernatural had arrived. But how does, how does Herod respond? Instead of saying, wow, I need to meet this one, I need to fall down, no, Herod begins to scheme. He tries to alter God's plan. He comes up with the idea, I want to find out where this Jesus is, and I want to go and kill him to protect my interest. Herod tried to alter God's ways. Let's compare that and contrast that with Jesus. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way. Jesus is not just a way to God. Jesus is the way, the very essence of who God is and how we might reconcile and be connected to him is found in Christ. He said in John 14, 6 to his followers, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus didn't come up with some rogue way, but he was the way for us to be connected to God, a major contrast between Herod and Jesus. A third comparison, Herod died alone. 
He died alone. For all of his economic success, for all of the things that he built, his megalomania and, and his selfishness and his ruthless ways kept him isolated from all others. And so Herod was, was dying, and he was dying alone. He had a, a disease that he was dying, this slow and painful death. So you know what a megalomaniac who's dying alone does? Herod had very prominent people in the community arrested, people that everyone liked. He had them arrested and placed in prison so that the day that Herod died, those people would be executed. Why? So that someone would cry on the day that Herod died. That's the kind of guy that Herod was. He died alone. Let's compare that to Jesus. Jesus did not die alone. He is celebrated eternally. Not only did people mourn at the the tomb on the time that Jesus died, as we see in Luke 23, when it says, and all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Not only did they gather, not only did they observe, not only did they mourn the day that he died, not only did they have sorrow for that, but friends, when he rose again, they celebrated because their friend, the one they had trusted, was back. And today, right now in heaven, Jesus is eternally celebrated. The song of heaven in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 12 goes this way. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. What a contrast with Herod. Herod died alone and then his kingdom deteriorated. Jesus died and rose again was mourned at his death, celebrated at his resurrection, and is worshiped now eternally. What a contrast between the two. And lastly, we might see that Herod killed his opposition, but Jesus died for his opposition. Herod killed his opposition, Jesus died for his. Where do we see that? Well, Herod had come up with this plan to kill all of the male children in Bethlehem who were under the age of two, based on the time that he had heard. He wanted to make sure there was some margin. He was going to kill all of the little boys who were in that city and in that region. Now, what a heinous thing to do, right? Now, Bethlehem was not a massive place, but historians would say this might have included some 20 male children in that area. Now, some scholars have looked at this and said, you know, maybe that event never really happened. And the reason why they argue that it maybe never happened is because there's not extra biblical support to the idea that 20 babies were killed in Bethlehem in the time that Jesus was born. But I think there's another explanation. I think the explanation for why that event is not talked about in extra biblical literature is in part because Herod was the one writing the literature. But the other reason why it wasn't included there is that that event of killing these baby boys in Bethlehem doesn't even make like the top five of most heinous things that Herod ever did. He did so many other bad things. If you were one of Herod's opponents, he just had you killed. It didn't matter if if you were talking about Herod's kids or his wives or other people in his cabinet or court. If you crossed him, he killed you. That's what he did. So much so that Caesar Augustus, remember the Roman Caesar, who was ruling over the empire at that time, made this comment about Herod. He said, it is better to be Herod's sow than his son. What did he mean by that? Well, Jewish people wouldn't have killed the pig to eat it. 
And so the pig would live, but Herod's sons were all killed. And so we see the ruthlessness of Herod talked about. He killed his opposition. Think of that in tremendous contrast to the person of Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. Jesus died for his opposition. Luke 19.10, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He came for us. He came for those who were rebelling against him, who were opposing him. Luke 15.1 talks about those who opposed God's ways. Tax collectors and sinners were drawn to Jesus because of the way he treated them and the love that he showed them. This is who Jesus was. He died for those who were rebelling against him. We see this in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, which takes it out of just the context of the first century and, and shares it for all of us. It says that God showed his love for us while we were still sinners. Christ came and died for us to take the penalty that our sins deserve. And we see this also in Mark chapter 10 and verse 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus died for us. What a contrast between Herod, who would kill anyone who crossed him. Jesus came and allowed himself to be killed to pay the ransom that our sins deserve. And so with this contrast and with these comparisons, I want us to conclude by thinking about how we might respond to the king ourselves, how we might respond. So what are some ways? Based on what we've seen, I want to just ask the question, who are you following? Who are you following? Who are the biggest influences in your life right now? Now, I doubt that any of you are going to say, I follow Herod. There are no Herodians here today. I'm aware of that. Um, But ultimately, there's only two categories. There is the king of kings, and then there is everyone else. Who are we ultimately trusting in? Another person, ourselves, some other ideal, some other religion, or are we trusting in the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the way, the truth, and the life? Who are you following? Well, a few questions to ask. First thing, are you working to build your kingdom or are you working to build his kingdom? Remember, the kingdom that Herod built ended up being a dry swimming pool and a pile of rocks with no sun on the throne. Friends, we can invest our lives in things that will fade and deteriorate, or we can be a part of his kingdom that will never end. Are you working to build your kingdom, or are you working to build his? Second, are you trying to alter God's directives to fit your desires, or are you obeying, obeying him? You know, we, see, we saw that very dramatically with Herod, did we not? Herod understood that Jesus was born, and rather than submitting to him and following him, he tried to kill him. Though it might not look that dramatic for us, oftentimes we do similar things. We read very clearly what God is calling us to do or not do, what he's calling us to, how he's calling us to respond and the direction that he wants us to live. And rather than submitting to that and following him, we want to twist the truth to fit our own desires. And may we not do that. 
May we not follow Herod's lead. May we follow Christ instead and obey him in every area of our lives. Third thing, are you living to make a name for yourself or are you living for his glory? You know, Herod wanted his name to be great. Are you trying to make your name great or are you most interested in the name of Jesus being great? When I think about the the, the picture of this, I, I just personalize it a little bit. Is your chief objective, you know, Steve, to be be known as everybody to say, "Wow, isn't Steve a great guy?" Or is Steve's chief objective for people to know who know Steve to say, "Isn't Steve's God awesome?" Friends, this is what God has brought us to. Are we living for our name or are we living for his glory? And then are you relying on your own efforts or are you trusting in his death for your salvation? See, Herod was all about what he could do and accomplish, but Jesus made the way for all of us to be saved if we would just trust in him. Do you think about this Christmas season and entering into this time as you reflect on your life and and, and who you're ultimately following? Know that there is one who loves you, who bled and died for you, and who wants to be with you forever in eternity, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. He's inviting us to trust in him and be saved as a result. How are you responding to the king today? When it comes to this passage, we see that, Jesus, or that, that Herod is not the great one, but Jesus is. And I just can't bite my tongue on that any longer. Oh, come on, anybody? Okay. Instead, may we all turn and trust in Christ together this year. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for the opportunity to open your word and study it today. Thank you for the encouragement that we see inside of these words, the contrast between Herod and who you are. Lord, thank you that we don't have to settle for something temporary, that we don't have to live only for ourselves, but you have made it possible for us to be a part of what you are doing in the world and that you have made it possible for us to experience the joy and the blessing of life eternal. Lord Jesus, we thank you, and we pray that you would give us the faith to trust in you and to follow you this year. In Jesus' name we pray.